Today, I want to talk about how to get into motorsport through the back door. Hello, race drivers. This is Enzo with the Race Driver Coach Show, another episode. We're going to talk about how to get into motorsport when you haven't got millions in the bank. And I think that's something, that's a topic that so many people within the community of the TRDC and the, and the Race Striver Club, they all want to know. We get race drivers here that are at the top of their game, wanting to know mental techniques. But obviously, there's a heck of a lot of people wanting to know how to even get into the sport in the first place. Or they get stuck in their career and they need sponsorship and... They don't really know how to get the money to play in this elite sport. First things first, right? Understand that motorsport is stupidly expensive. Probably one of the most obvious things I've ever said, but it's the truth. It's like if you want to go and race planes or you want to go and race boats, you've got to understand that somebody has to pay for that car, plane, boat, helicopter, whatever it is you want to do stuff in has to pay to run that, has to pay to enter it, has to pay to fix it when it's damaged, and all the race kit. So I reckon step one is get over it. If that's the, the, the barrier to entry, to get somebody to pay it or to get into that seat, then that's just the game you want to enter. You've got to come to terms with it. Because if you look back in the old days when motorsport started, it was somebody would build their car, would compete with it to show how great it is to show they've got the fastest one it wasn't really about the driving so much it was more about the vehicle motor sport and obviously it was the wealthy people that did this they put their cars against other people's cars then they found out actually if you put a driver in it they can get even more from that car and get good mechanics to tweak it so then it just grew into a sport where it's not just the vehicle it's obviously the driver and everybody else in the team but it hasn't really changed. So the, the dollars that are needed in order to compete is just the way it is. And if you get a race team to run it for you, obviously you're paying for that service. If you're not running the car yourself because it's, you know, it's too much of a high level or there's other reasons why you can't do that. You're not allowed privateers in a lot of these junior formulas now. The team has to run it, but they're a business. They have to pay all the staff, all the engineers, the mechanics. They have to pay to keep the lights on in the workshop. They've got all these things to pay for and they want to make a little bit of profit because it's what they do. They don't do anything else and they're competing. And the driver is normally the person that brings all that money. So it is expensive. You're paying for even more now. You're paying for the race truck to be run, you know, the fuel in the race truck to get it all there. So <clears throat> it is expensive, but there is a way that the working class and people who haven't got the money in the bank account to actually do it. There's plenty of drivers on the F1 grid that didn't start with millions in the bank. Um, probably still haven't even got millions in the bank. They're just there somehow. But they, they did it through winning scholarships. They did it through doing really well in the kind of formula or karting championships that they could afford. And they caught the eye of somebody who wanted to pay for them. Or they just got sponsorship. Or they got in with somebody somehow to give them that opportunity. So there are ways to do it. In fact, I'd say that it's 50-50. You know, you've got drivers that can't afford to pay for F1 all the way up. 
and IndyCar and all these, but they're in there. Then you get the rich, wealthy kids who just get their parents to pay all the way. So it is 50-50, but it's possible. And in this video, I just want to, okay, share a little bit about my story. I mean, I didn't get to F1. It was my original goal, but I was bloody too old. I probably wasn't even good enough, to be fair. <laughs> who knows? Um, but I still made it into racing. I won championship. I got into high-level British motorsport before I became a coach, because that's really what I'm, I'm built for, really, is to become a performance coach. So I can share with my story. I mean, my story, just to give you a, a heads up, and it, you know, it could have been a successful race career if I didn't change my mind. But I was born on a council estate. I was raised on a council estate till I was around about six, I think it was, something like that. Um, and if you don't know what a council estate is, it's basically houses that are provided to the people um, on low income, and it's the government that provide that house. Um, so it's not the best surroundings normally. Uh, lovely people, everyone's like, you know, doing their best. They're working whatever they can, but it's not, we're not wealthy. We just about scrape through and you've got kids that you got to pay for. I was one of them kids. So it's not the best environment to be brought up in sometimes, but still we were living life, loving life. I had an immigrant dad. Mom was from this country, from the UK, and we made our way through. Right. Um, my dad opened up a pizza takeaway shop in the eighties and that's how we earned our money. So he was working in a factory and then he opened up his own shop, just a small takeaway. So it wasn't really providing us lots of money, but it was enough to leave the council estate and get into a, a four bedroom detached house, right? That kind of thing. So I, anyway, I started, um, working for him when I was in middle school, 12, 13 years old around that. And I stayed there till I was about 25. A long time working in a pizza shop. Um, but if you work for your family in a family business, you know that it's hard to leave because your parents need you there because they can't afford stuff. So that was what I was doing for a bit of income on and off over them 10, 12 years. Um, but when I was 16, when uh, Mansell was at Silverstone and we went there and that was really where I fell in love with F1, my first F1 meeting. I couldn't believe it. We, we stayed up all night to, to queue up to get into Silverstone, straight from working the pizzas at 12 o'clock at night. And we went to Silverstone, slept in the van, got in, and I was in love. I mean, I was in love with motorsport before that, but that was really what kicked it over the edge. 1992, watching Mansell, I was hooked. It's what I wanted. And, I, and some of you watching this now will think, yeah, I had a similar experience. It's what I want. It's all I want. But I just don't know how to get into that world, which is what we'll talk about. But still, uh, so what I did is I started to fantasize over, you know, all sorts of racing. I didn't know how to start. I went and got my race license um, two years after that, 1994, and sat on that for a little bit, a couple of years, didn't do any racing, just do a couple of test days in, in other people's cars. And then finally got the money together when I was around 19, I guess it was 1997. So actually 20, geez, I was quite old actually, uh, 1920. And I bought my first car. It was a Formula Ford, a crappy little thing. But what I did is I spent two years saving as much as I could, working at dad's, doing everything I could just to save money up. I got a little bank loan, which I don't think you should do because you have to pay it back. Um, and I got enough money to buy the car. That was it. I just bought the car, 
um, and then started to save money and get little sponsors. So the tire and exhaust place down the road, the breakdown recovery person that my uncle knew threw us some uh, tires and things like this and, and a little bit of money, but not much. And I just got so many small sponsors as much as I could to sort of just make it through the season to pay for the fuel, to pay for the damage, to pay for the entry fees. And I think I think I finished like 10th in the championship in this Formula Ford championship. And because I was doing it in a complete dog, it was like the, yeah, the bobsleigh in uh, Core Runnings, their first bobsleigh. It was a rusty bucket. And I got a mechanic to help me. I borrowed a trailer, all this stuff, right? Towed it there myself. Um, just about got through the, the series um, money-wise. Luckily, no big damage. Sold the car for a little bit of a profit. I think we made a grand on it because the results were pretty good. But at the same time, I caught the eye of somebody who was in that championship and they said, I can see that you're driving well. I've got a car available. I can give it to you for this price or I, I will bring it to the circuit for you, prepare it and you just drive it. You can do class a, B. I'll do class A. Uh, Simon Davey, thank you. Um, and this car was a lot better, this Formula Ford in the second year. And I was driving the same way, yet now I wasn't finishing 10th. I was finishing first just because the car was that bit better. I was like, oh my God. So then I won the championship in the second year. Then we did a bit of F3 in Britain. Then I did some GTs, some Alfa Romeo, some Clio Cups and got to a level where British GT, pretty good level. Did some races in that in a really bad car. So I was back to the bad car again because I couldn't really afford much. I made it to a level that was pretty high in England with no cash. All I had was passion, outward passion, and the guts to go and sell, to talk to people, to sell them the dream of I am the best driver they've ever met, but I did it in a convincing way. Um, and you can come along for the journey. And I got people like PR companies to join me, a PR company, not exaggerating, just one. Um, and they did all the my logo, my website, my sponsorship proposals for me. And in return, I got them um, customers within motorsport which is kind of what we want to speak about today, which is getting through the back door. And when I say getting through the back door in the, the get the drive book of mine, it's number eight on the great eight. When I say eight ways to get sponsorship or to get into racing, to get the drive Trojan horse, I call it. And that's really getting into the sport without being a driver, being in the sport, working, getting paid from motorsport. And then you're there on the scene. You are there in the industry, earning money, making contacts, maybe improving your skill, depending on what job you've got. And you never know who you bump into, who you meet, what opportunities come. And you can find yourself in a car driving and you haven't paid a penny. In fact, you've been paid to be there. That's kind of what I did. And I want to give you just a few examples of this later on just to say right this is the, the kind of jobs you can do to get you into the sport if you can't afford to race but this kind of trojan horse getting through the back door getting into the industry uh it, it's it's not just motorsport it can be seen everywhere i made a list here like richard branson he sold budges when he was 11. <laughs> so you would say okay he started virgin virgin atlantic virgin galactic it's called now flying through space but this kid was just somebody who just had to sell something and budges the birds he sold at school because the kids loved them. And that was his way into the business world. Then you've got Rolf Lauren that he was just a salesperson for a glove company. Elon Musk made a computer game, which he sold for $500. 
you know, you, you, and you see lots of stories like this of people, how they started. They might have had a vision of what they wanted in the, in the long game, or they might not. But still, what they did was the first step was getting into an industry like entrepreneurship or into coding like it was with Elon. It went on to really create PayPal and Tesla, obviously, SpaceX and God knows other things he's done. But and when you look at um, Hollywood superstars, they start off, they go to Hollywood. They don't know how they're going to make a career there, but they just work as waiters and waitresses, pool attendants, anything they can do to get them to rub shoulders with producers, with people who can get them in to a, a, an acting role of any sort. You know, they're just trying to be there. That's more what we're speaking about now. So it's how can you get into motorsport if you can't afford to get into the car right now? But be there, be paid, and you never know what will happen. That's the back door. That's the Trojan horse. You're there, and people don't even know why you're there. They see you as an employee. Maybe you tell them, I want to be a race driver, but still, you're in the industry in a way where you can leap at an opportunity if it presents itself. Again, that's what I did. I worked as a mechanic for a race team, um, which now and then got me in the car. Because I worked as a mechanic, they knew I'd done some racing. Uh, they, I'd won the British, the, sorry, the Formula Ford championship by then. And I wanted to race for their team. We nearly got the money together. It was Formula Renault, but didn't quite. So they said, or I asked, can I just work on one of the cars for you? You know, I'll be an employee. I'll work in the shed. And I did. I got the role as a mechanic and I couldn't even, I, I wasn't a mechanic. I just learned on the go on people's cars. It's quite crazy. But it's just me in a shed for the race team. Um, and yes, I got a couple of test days because they knew I could drive. Now and then, one of their clients needed somebody to follow them around, was in Formula Renault's, so to coach them. So then I just jump in the car and do that. And I was thinking to myself, I'm just a paid mechanic. Yet here I am at, where did I go? Castle Coombe, Mallory Park, circuits like that, in a Formula Renault. And this was a step up. And I'm coaching people. I'm actually in a race car and I haven't paid for this test. It was equivalent to a test, right? And it just goes to show that, you know, if, if oh, and one time we're at Zolder, the current driver couldn't turn up and they said, Enzo, have you got your race license? Enzo, have you got your helmet with you? We can enter you into this race. And it was Formula Renault. I was like, oh my God. I phoned up, I can't remember who it was at the time saying, please fax me. That's what we used to do back then. Fax me a race license. We're going to be, I think I'm racing this weekend. And I was there because I was just a mechanic of a team and they knew that I wanted to drive their car. It didn't come off for some reason. Uh, the boss of the, the race team ended up racing. So I didn't quite get it, but I was that close. But that's how opportunities happen because you're there on the scene. People know your intentions, maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter, but you just get these things and you jump at them. Also, you've got your ear to the ground, listening to different opportunities that come up. So I want to say that if you haven't got the cash, there is still a way to be in the sport, to learn the industry, to be present, ready and meeting people, you know, rubbing shoulders, like I say, with people that are in the industry that can open open doors and opportunities for you. But you're ready to pounce if something does come up. It's a long game. And it's not like if you work for this team as a race mechanic, I'm not saying that you're going to get a drive out of it because there's no systematic do this, this and this, and you will get a career. It's just you've got to bust your balls and do everything you can and try everything. Be there. Be there with the people that can do it 
and you never know. And this is how you see it in so many success stories, don't you? People in and out the sport. It's like they did this, this and this, and they had a chance meeting, but it's them putting themselves in that place that creates the chance meeting. It's them then delivering when they do get that opportunity and the person just being in the right frame of mind and having the cash to say, right, I'm going to help you out. You can't really forecast where your opportunity is going to come from. But what I want you to do is put yourself in a position where these opportunities can be attracted to you, where you can see them, where you can be in a position where you go, you know what, something's just come up, I'm going to go for it. Instead of being at home, wishing this career would actually take off, but you're not actively in a position to do anything about it. You're just in your, in your room at home. That's no good to anybody. So to talk about the kind of jobs you can do, I've written some down here and I'll put them up on the screen. Okay. The first thing could be to work for a race team, like I said, and that can be a as a mechanic, that can be you, you're there to do their social media for them. How about that? Just thinking out the box. You could be there to actually actively look for sponsors for that race team. That's your job. You, know, you could be an apprentice or an intern for a race team in some way, whatever position, it doesn't matter. Organizing the race drivers that are there at the time. Don't get jealous of them. If you work with race drivers and you want to be a driver, it's easy to be jealous. Don't be jealous. Try to resist that. But still, there's plenty roles. Uh, it could be a truckie. Who knows? There's plenty of roles in a race team that you could fulfill. And at least you're at the racetracks. At least you go into the race meetings, the test days, you're learning, you're seeing the data maybe of the drivers, you're taking it all in. And then whilst you're there, cheekily, without getting fired, you can talk to other race teams and, th and people there and tell them what you're after. You could get budgets off them. And people just get to know you in the industry. So working for a race team worked for me. Also, I worked for a British touring car team. And all I did was um, I, I led their track days. So we started to sell track days where people came and drove the race car or similar to the race car and their sponsors did. And I just ran that side of their company. And guess what? I got a drive out of it. They're a British touring car team. I was supposed to be the British touring car driver. But then at the last second, after I'd already signed the bloody contract, someone came in and said, he's not driving. The new manager didn't like me for some reason. Later said, sorry, I should have let you have a chance, Enzo, but whatever. <laughs> but still, I was there and I got a drive. And when they couldn't provide me with a British touring car drive, they gave me a secondary one. It was a club racing championship in an Alpha 147. I've still got lap records now. I won lots of races with them. And I wouldn't have had that if I didn't work for them. All I was doing was running their track days in this touring car team. And it got me a drive. This is how powerful it can be. But again, I had a bit of racing before. I'd won a championship. I had the gift of the gab. I was passionate. They knew what I wanted. Really follow those steps. Okay, next job you could do in motorsport could be work at race schools. Another thing I did from uh, uh, 1998 to 2008, I worked at Silverstone, Alton Park, all the bloody race schools in England I could. Brands Hatch, Donington, Rockingham. Um, and that was obviously to earn good money because it's over a hundred pound a day, which was amazing for someone who delivers pizzas for like one pound 50 per pizza delivery. You know how hard you have to work if you're only getting paid one pound 50 per delivery. And jump into something that's like a hundred, 150, sometimes 200 pounds a day. 
was like phenomenal. So I'm getting paid to sit in high performance cars, sports cars, supercars, normal cars, um, or just sit at the side of a track watching single seaters waving flags um, and doing passenger rides. So you're driving, drifting. If you're like uh, doing the demonstration drives, I was driving a two seater formula car around the oval, taking people around. So all that experience of going round and round a track, getting better at driving, getting paid, and being with other race drivers constantly, you never know what comes from that either. And it kind of kicked my career off on the coaching because that's how I got to become the Formula BMW coach because it was through Rockingham. Um, they, they introduced me, got the job, then I became the European chief coach. Then I worked for Gravity or people that pay for race drivers. And I was the person who was the sporting manager there and scouting and coaching. And then it grew from there. And then I started to work for the Lotus Junior F1 team, uh, the junior team in F1. And then uh, things have just grown constantly. But it was because I worked at a race school. And who would have thought that going up to my first bloody day at Silverstone, scared because I don't know what I'm supposed to teach. And uh, I was only in my first, second year of racing, so I didn't really know how to teach. Um, and all these famous race drivers were there as well that I was working with. But that's what I did. And that's what you can do. You can go to a race school. And even if you haven't got experience, you can be the person that straps people into the cars and you just, you learn it and then you get your race license and then you become a, an instructor. So that's another thing you can do race schools. Third thing is work at a circuit or a cart track. Now I used to work at Shennington. So I know this works Shennington cart track, um, in England. And when you work at a track, again, you're in the industry, you're, you're helping with events, you're meeting people in the industry, which is important, and you're just there. The fourth thing I'll put, you can even work in motorsport hospitality. Now, if you want to sell hospitality packages within motorsport and you get a job working for the paddock club in F1 or something similar with other championships, you are mixing with wealthy people. You are serving them. You are seeing how hospitality companies treat people, how they entertain them. So you're getting all ideas of the packages you can sell. Maybe you can sell seats and packages within the hospitality company that you're working for and get commission. So say these people are paying two grand, five grand a weekend to use the hospitality and you're just a waiter. But at the side, as a side note, you're also getting clients for them and they say, right, you get 500 for everyone you sell. That's a good earner as well. It gets you learning how to sell. It gets you money. You're in there rubbing shoulders with people who could actually sponsor you again, but don't get fired. Obviously, approaching customers and asking them for sponsorship isn't cool in the employee's eyes. So employer's eyes. So be careful. And one that I haven't mentioned is be an apprentice for a driver management or sports sponsorship agency. So if you want to be an apprentice or you do an intern at a company that actually sells sponsorship, sports sponsorship in many different sports. So you get to learn how to sell it, how to package it, who to talk to, how to knock the front door, how to cold call, and you're getting paid to learn all this stuff. That's worth one, two, three years of your time doing it. And you can make a lot of money. If you're on commission, if you do a million dollar deal and you're on your 3% commission, you're on your way. Maybe there's more commission, who knows? But that is a really interesting, important one for me. If there's a sports sponsorship company out there that could do with an intern or someone who just wants to learn and get in, you know, only paid minimum wage, but you're learning the industry from that side. That's, I wish I'd thought of that, actually. I wish I'd found that because I would have done that. So 
these are backdoors into the racing world and when i say trojan horse you know the trojan horse where the soldiers all uh, hid inside the big wooden horse and they pushed it through that's what it's like it's like being in the industry but no one really knowing why you're there but you know why you're there you've got an agenda you're not you're misinforming anyone or misleading anybody but you're just there and i think this is worth a moment of your time to think about if i can't race this next coming year or two because i haven't got the money i haven't got the i haven't got a license i haven't even got the the bloody reputation in the sport to sell anything because i haven't done a race yet then how about working within the industry in some way even a mechanic at a race school doesn't matter but you're in the industry you're learning it you're meeting people you're getting confident you're finding out how to sell sponsorship you find out how to get in you hear stories of certain people getting a drive in motorsport in, as a race driver and these this sort of in, intelligence this sort of insight and being in there it's so powerful and you never know where it'll lead so it's a long journey it really is a long journey but if you're doing stuff like this if you're getting paid to be in motorsport you never know where it'll end up